Heath's back on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. How's it going, Heath? It is fantastic. I really missed you guys the whole time I was gone. I was sad. I just sat there thinking, man, I wish I was with Scott and Chris. I mean, you, you sit right next to us. I know. But you are with Scott White uh-huh. and yep. Chris Towers here on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. On today's episode, we're going to catch you up on the latest news, uh, actually some fairly significant signings, so there's stuff to talk about. And then we're going to finish off the show probably the last half hour, just rapid fire through all your questions. We've got a mailbag. So let's get going. But first, Heath, you just finished putting together your top 600 rotisserie rankings. Finished is maybe the wrong word. You are in progress. It's a rough draft. I, I'm in the process of compiling 600 names of baseball players. And I believe <laughs> all of them are on teams. No, almost certainly not. True. Uh, so what we want to do to start off the show, Adam Azer told me to do this. So Adam said Adam. Heath's back. He's the most important exactly. person. Let's start with him. Exactly. <laughs> what has stood out? What is Should one big thing that has stood out for you while you're building your rankings that we haven't talked about? I, I, Scott's I'm, I'm, well, I'm just wondering. It's been so long since Heath's been on. Like, do, Is there a segment of the audience that we actually have to introduce? Like, Do we have to explain who Heath Cummings is? Heath Cummings is a senior <laughs> fantasy writer for CBSSports.com. He, uh, I like beer. He likes beer. He worked on, uh, he, he does football and baseball. He's Both. done DFS stuff. He's done so much stuff, and we're yeah. glad Dong to have chasers. him back. We, we will be chasing dongs in the 2019 season. But Heath, let's answer the question after Scott so rudely interrupted me. Something that stood out for you while you were building your top 300, and don't talk about the, the one we've been talking about. Don't in talk the about office, the one thing that stood out to me. Because we'll get to that. <laughs> so the one thing that stood out to me, I should Something not talk about. Something besides that. I had an answer prepared. Like you tease. send, you send notes. Okay, and hit the people. I come up with answers, and then you say, "Don't talk about the one thing I know you've been preparing to talk about." Hit the people with the, the one thing. The relief pitcher position is so weird, depending on the format you're in. Sure. In, in roto, it's absolutely dreadful. Yes. Terrible, awful, and I think it's very. It's going to be very important this year in roto drafts to get someone that is definitely getting saves. Because we may have like 10 or 12 teams <laughs> where we don't know on a given night who's getting saves. And that might, number might be low. Mm -hmm. So the, I think there's 13, 14, maybe 15 closers that I feel really good about getting 30 saves this year, 25, 30 saves. I definitely want one of those guys. I might get two of those guys if the draft works out that way. The thing is... Yes. Seven of those guys aren't going to get 30 saves I don't, for one, one reason or another. May, maybe seven. That seems a little high. Maybe five. Yeah, I mean it's it's a different world because you know in the past you might say there's 15 to 20 relievers who I feel good about getting saves, but you knew even the ones you didn't feel good about, right. somebody would emerge in that role for some bullpen. This is more a philosophical change across the league, uh, led by teams like the Phillies and the Rays, true bullpen committees, uh, not just you know, not just talk of them, but they're actually happening. So how many relievers can you trust to give to get a closer uh, a closer save total is, yeah, it, it, it may be less than two-thirds of the bullpens when all said and done. But on the other hand, in points leagues, I don't know that you have to worry about it at all because this may be the greatest SPARP year in the history of SPARP years. You've got Carlos Martinez, who is my number one RP in points leagues, yeah, I can understand if he's number two, number three, number four, somewhere in that range. But he's my number one in points leagues. You've got Tyler Glass now. You've got Kenta Maeda. You've got Colin McHugh. You've got Brad Keller. 
I mean, Brad Keller certainly belongs in a category with those three guys <laughs> and, and a variety of others. So I don't think relief pitcher is going to be a problem in points leagues, especially since you only need two of them. And there's only you know, I mean, 24 that are going to be rostered. It'll be fine. In Roto, it's a real, real problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and let's get into well, – we'll, we'll preview a debate that I'm sure will linger throughout the preseason because you always have to be different last year. You had Mike Trout third in Roto behind Trey Turner and Jose Altuve. Yeah, yes. how'd that work out? Not well. <laughs> mean. <laughs> and now, going yes. into the 2019 season. I moved him up to number two. He had a good year. Amazing. Yeah. He is not your number one player. I, will, I was looking at the fantasypros.com consensus rankings. Right. There's only 11 people who have rankings up for top 300s right now. Uh, none of them have Mike Trout lower than number one. None of them have Mookie Betts lower than number two. There right. is consensus at the top so that you are let's, breaking. Let's, let's really think about this. If the, cons- the entire industry agrees that one player is number one and one player is number two, how weird is it really to just switch? Th- Extremely weird. When you're talking about Extremely 600 players weird. and Mookie Betts was better last year, and I could make an argument he's been better for the last you, three you years. You could make an argument, but it's interesting that you phrase it like that because I kind of feel like you're only making the argument just because you want to be different. You're being Mookie Betts is awesome. Here. Mookie Betts is awesome. He's, he's going to have 110 that. runs, 110 RBI. He's going to steal 25 to 30 bases. He he's going to hit over 300. He is the second most likely to be the best player in baseball. Mike Trout's never the best player in baseball. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it. you are correct that Mike Trout has not been the number one player, I think, since 2014. Fair point. Thanks. I think Mookie Betts is the only player who has finished above him more than once. Has Mookie Betts been number one? I believe two of the last twice? three years. Yes. Yeah. And he is the number one player. So is over it really weird to on. rank the number one player two of the last three years as he, the number one player? He is the number one player over the last three years overall. That being said, Mike Trout missed 50 games in yep. 2017. Yeah. It wasn't, it's not like it's been a recurring injury. It was no. a fluky injury. Mookie Betts could get hurt in the same way. And. We've seen a bad season for Mookie Betts. Actually, we've seen two. Not, not that he was bad. He was still like a top 40 player. We saw player. an unle- unlucky season in 2017. Sure. Be that as it may. We've never seen that for Mike Trout. Trout. There has literally never been a season where Mike Trout did not perform at a, at a standard that would put him in the discussion for the best player in I fantasy. think he's in the discussion. He's number two. He can't miss. That is that's well it, within the yeah, discussion. That's what it ultimately comes down to. You, you can't. Taking Trout first overall can never be a mistake. Yeah. Never. I think, and I, this is maybe more of the point about Mookie Betts, I don't believe he was bad at all in 2017. I believe he was extremely unlucky, and I don't have any concern that he repeats 2017. That's fair. That's fair. You're wrong, but it's fair. <laughs> I'm wrong that he has... That you think it was fluky, too. Well, and if you look at per-game numbers... As opposed to because Trout's had uh, Trout's missed more time than Betts over the past few years, and maybe that does need to factor into the assessment to to a degree. But if you look at per game production as opposed to total in numbers, it's in, it, the gap widens a little bit more. In fairness, in 2016 and in 2018, which I believe were the two years that Mookie Betts was the number one player in fantasy, Mike Trout played more games than Mookie Betts in both of those seasons. Sure. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. We've gotten off to a heated start. Let's talk about some of the latest news, including one piece of news that broke literally as we were sitting down for the podcast. DJ LeMayhew 
signs a two-year, $24 million deal with the Yankees. The cash-strapped Yankees, of course. Um, where is he going to play? Second base. Where's Glaber Torres going to play? Shortstop. Where's Troy Tulowitzki going to play? No. Doesn't need to. He's not. I mean, no, they, they signed him to start. Well, before they knew to. they could get DJ LeMayhew. Yeah. I don't. I can't imagine they signed Troy Tulowitzki and they're going to bench him. I, just from the way they've talked about well, it, the think, way has he's he been talked a about it, you think they signed DJ LeMayhew for $24 million and they're going to bench him? I have, that's, my, that's my question. Is maybe Miguel Andujar is the full-time DH... Giancarlo Stanton plays more right field, and maybe... So, in that situation, Aaron Hicks is out? No, Brett Gardner. Okay. Mm. No. That's possible. This is something that we're actually seeing with a lot of teams right now, and it's it's a really weird... Both New York teams, for sure, they kind of have too many guys. They have, at the very least, they have a lot of guys that we would like to see play who just aren't going to. Well, that's that's kind of... We talked about the the philosophical change at the back end of games in terms of managing the bullpen, and there's seems to be a, a philosophical change too. It, it's been going on a little longer, I think, in, in terms of setting a lineup, and and really the Dodgers have been uh, kind of the uh, the leaders in this area of just using more mix, doing more mixing and matching, having a sure. lot of depth a lot of uh rotating parts you know the astros have done a lot of that too i I suspect troy tulowitzki is going to play a fair amount but i don't know that everybody is going to start every day in the same spot for many of the players so here here's the the more relevant question for our purposes where do you rank dj lemayhew after this move it's a great lineup but Within the context of Coors Field, I'm not sure it's that much better of a lineup than the Rockies. They have a bad lineup, but where they play covers up for a lot this of This is just a great lineup 162 times instead of 81. Sure, but... Is a weird player. Is, is DJ LeMayhew good? Yeah. I mean, he's a weird player coming out of a weird situation. That's... It, because it's, it's, it's rare for a hitter in today's environment where everybody who's anybody is hitting 20-plus home runs. It's rare for a hitter to... Un- fall short of 20 home runs consistently, reliably, and still be a fantasy standout the way LeMahieu has been during the time with the Rockies. And what's made him that is how consistently he hits over 300. And a lot of that has been dependent on the Babbitt inflating effects of Coors Field that Three- really aren't present in any other park. 376 Babbitt in Coors Field for his career that has led to uh, an 835 OPS, a 330 batting average away from Coors Field, 264 with a 673 OPS, a 307 BABIP. So it's not like the BABIP was bad. I just wonder how, and, and throw this on top of it, Chase Field has been arguably the second best hitters park for most of his career. He's played 102 games there. He's hit 314 there. So you have to imagine he's hit like 255. I want to know where he hits in the lineup. Because if you put DJ LeMayu first with Judge, Hicks, Stanton, Sanchez behind him, then he's probably a top 10 second baseman for me. But it would, it would depend on him playing every day. And does, well, I do think while, while Torres, uh, while DD Gregorius is out recovering from Tommy John's surgery, LeMayu probably will play close to every day. Uh, at some point, probably mid season, Gregorius is coming back. And obviously, 
he is, I, I, I think most people would argue he's a better player than LeMahieu. So Unquestionably, I think. Um, I don't know about unquestionably, well, but possibly. When you consider the defense he provides at shortstop, a position that you don't, you wouldn't really expect LeMahieu to play at all. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think he would be a higher priority in the Yankees lineup than LeMahieu. But by that point, who knows what's going on? Right. Andrew Andrew may have yeah. slumped his way out of the lineup, considering how much of a defensive liability but he this is. is. This is the thing they, they've given themselves a lot of insurance, and that's great for the Yankees. It's a really smart process, but it's not great for fantasy. Somebody's going to get left out. Maybe I, it's Troy Tulowitzki, and he's not good enough to play every day anymore. Or that he's not. We don't know that. Like he he's, didn't play last year. He's not. He's not looked good enough to play every day since. Sure. 2015. It's unlikely, but they went out and got him early. So second base is probably the thinnest position aside from catcher. Catcher um, position. Prior to this, I had Lemayhu ranked the nine ten range there. So a starter in a standard twelve team league. Um, I would drop him behind. Uh, well, Brian Dozier now. Uh, Brian Dozier did sign a one-year deal with the Nationals in uh, the last 24 hours. So yep. we'll talk about that yep. shortly. I would keep him ahead. I would keep LeMahieu ahead of like Jonathan Scope, though. So he's now in that 12 to 14 range for me at second base. You're still drafting him probably in every it's, league. It's really funny because I had LeMahieu 15th, mm-hmm. and I probably will move him up to around 13th. <laughs> so I think we're going to be in the same place on DJ LeMahieu now. But took a roundabout way there. Yes, took a roundabout way there. All right, let, let's talk about some of the other signings. I don't think we'll have much to disagree with on this one. Brewers signed Yasmani Grandal to a one-year deal. First of all, love the fact that the Brewers are actually going for it in a league where half the teams aren't. They've been aggressive over the last two uh, off-seasons, and that's great. This is also an amazing fit for Yasmani Grandal, who always has really interesting skills and hasn't quite put together a huge monster season. Although he did hit, what, 26 home runs last year? His career high is 27, which he did, I believe, in 2016. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, going to Miller Park, one of the most homer-friendly parks, it's not Especially at all... Especially for left-handed hitters. It's not at all a stretch to, to imagine him having a 30-homer season for a catcher. I think part of what's held him back in terms of fantasy production is is the Dodgers and, and kind of their habit of mixing and matching so much. They did it behind the plate, too. There was, there was always somebody else there who was good enough to deserve more than a backup share of, uh, of the at-bats, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of held Grandal back. That, that's not the case in Milwaukee. Like, I, I feel like he is it, – it's, it's not only going to a great park, but it's going to a situation where there's not anybody he has to look over his shoulder for. And I think – I, I think both of those are uh, could could lead to a career season. Real Mut- JT Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, they're clearly the top two at the position. But I think you can make the argument for Grand Grandal next. Uh, Wilson Contreras, Wilson Ramos are probably in that discussion as well. But uh, I'm probably going to have Grandal fourth behind Real Muto, Sanchez, and Contreras. There was an interesting tweet from Derek Cardi about the change from Dodger Stadium to Miller Park mm-hmm. and how Dodger Stadium is one of the few parks that is a pitcher's park but also good for home runs for sure. left-handed hitters. And so Dodgers Park's home run boost 5%, according to Cardi. Miller Park, 13%. So it's still a boost, but it's maybe not quite the boost. I've got Grandal fifth right now. And I, I don't disagree that he could be as high as third. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished third. All right. 
Let's move on. You mentioned Brian Dozier, Scott. He signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. Expectation is he's going to play every day? Yeah, and I think that's the biggest part of the signing for me. Uh, Howie Kendrick was... <laughs> you know, it was going to be him or, or... Howie Kendrick coming back from a torn Achilles, right? I don't think it was going to be him. Yeah, uh, well, that... It, it Wil is Wil not Wil now. Wilmer yeah. Defoe. I mean, it, it wasn't going to be anybody good. So, yeah, it's clearly going to be Dozier. And that's, that is the, the biggest aspect of this deal for me because you remember where he finished last season. He was coming off the Dodgers bench in the playoff and, mm -hmm. and was maybe the last guy off the bench. And deservedly so. <laughs> it, it's, it's worth noting. He yeah. was bad last year. He, he was bad, but... He had a knee injury. He, ha he did have a knee injury. He, the previous two years... Come August 1st, we would probably have said he was having a bad season then, too. And he so he never got the chance for that late surge with the Dodgers that we were used to seeing from Dozier, which may have contributed to uh, the bad overall line also. But if you look at the bad of ball profile in terms of strikeout rate, line drive rate, he was doing the same thing he's always done. I, I think there's definitely potential for a bounce back here. Like I said, I'm moving LeMahieu behind Dozier now, so Dozier remains top 12? in my top 10, okay, 12 great. even. Uh, but, you know, this was a guy, last year he was, we were drafting him in like the round three, round yeah. four. So that's definitely somebody to gamble on. Um, you, you have Dozier behind Murphy? I do not. I do not have Dozier behind Daniel, Daniel Murphy. I think the big thing with Daniel Murphy is he makes so much contact and he's playing in course Field. Right. Like he was hitting 320 in Washington. Yeah. And I've got he, Murphy seven. He's diminished for sure. Right. But, or, I mean... Really, it was like a bad month and a half last year when he was coming back from that knee injury. Once he got going, he was Daniel Murphy. Again. He's just old. Yeah, there's risk, but Brian Dozier's old too. The thing is, Brian Dozier's not as old as I thought he was. He's like 31, 31, 32. Like Jed Lowry's 35. He's an he's an old 31. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jed Lowry, that's another one. Just signed a two-year deal with the Mets. What is the Mets starting lineup now? Let's I feel I feel like we're doing a second base preview <laughs> with all these. We're kind of we're kind of breaking down the whole position. Yeah, the Mets starting lineup now. This is I don't like it because well the initial reaction uh, among fantasy players especially I think was now okay now Jeff McNeil clearly there's no avenue for a bats here or Peter Alonso. Um, well, you brought that up. Yes, obviously those are two young players with at least perceived to have high ceilings, who fantasy owners were excited to draft. And I don't think they're necessarily blocked by this move. Jed Lowry played a lot of third base for the Athletics last year. Todd Frazier held the spot for the Mets there last year. And, you know, he's he's clearly uh, at the end of his rope. So it, it would be easy for them to just slot Lowry over Frazier at third base. They have Cano at second, obviously. First base, it, they stick Frazier over there until... Uh, until Peter Alonso is is uh, gets that extra year of team control in, in mid-April. And I saw a tweet from a Mets beat writer. don't remember who it was, but there was a Mets beat writer talking about how the team is comfortable playing McNeil in the outfield. Basically, there are two lineup spots for Todd Frazier, Juan Lagares, Keon Broxton, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, Peter Alonso. They have six players for two spots. And two... I. To draft McNeil or Alonzo where they were going to go a week ago, yeah, no. you have to assume the Mets are going to give those two spots to those two players. I, I don't think you can take Jeff McNeil in the top 300 right now. He's a, he's a reserve round guy. So yeah, I think Scott I wants I, to. I, I, don't have, I don't believe yeah, I, I have Alonzo or McNeil in my top 300 right now. And I wouldn't expect Alonzo to be called up before the Super 2 deadline at this point. There's just They have too many guys 
that and and being the Mets, I think what, what do you mean by that specifically? They are historically uh, concerned with the bottom line. Cheap. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, yes. And so, Scott. Scott. I think Scott has a different. I, look, if it was up to me. They wouldn't have traded for JD Davis. They wouldn't have. Well, they would why? Why are they we? Why are we reserving a lineup spot for JD Davis? He's We're an not. Astros cast. McNeil was an impact player in the majors okay. last year. He himself can play third base. Right, if but you don't want Lowry there. That's another. Well, Lowry starting. It's just another body. They gave Lowry. Well, they could stick starting. Cano at first base and and Lowry at second. I, I think McNeil it's at right. Third. Like, but we all agree. Again, there there's. It, there's not as clear of a path for Alonzo and McNeil, but if you trust that talent finds a way, uh, I mean... Are they both the, in your top 300? It's the Mets. Yes. But like last round pick. Yeah, I mean, they weren't... They were late rounders in mixed leagues even before this. I'm upset. I'm upset with the Mets. I don't like <laughs> Chris what Chris is not doing. drafting them. I don't... I, I think there will be someone else who's willing to take a chance that they'll get playing time. Sounds like it will be Scott in our drafts. Maybe. And I just, I don't think, especially with McNeil, I don't think the upside is worth having a guy who might only start three times a week on your bench. Like, he looked really good last year. He took a big step forward in the minors. But we're also talking about a very, 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 very limited track record of high-level success, even in the minors. A couple more news items. Alex Bregman underwent surgery to remove loose bodies in his right elbow. Will be delayed for the start of spring training. Expected to be ready for the start of the regular season, the team announces, but certainly makes him more risky, right? I mean, this is a fairly minor procedure. It's an arthroscopic procedure, so mm-hmm. they're not like making a big incision. Right. Um, it, obviously, I'm a doctor, <laughs> so it's probably not going to really lead to anything in terms of. Angst. Altering his production, it's going to lead to angst. Yeah, it, it's just, it's just that it was, it was already. I, I feel like I was already fighting an uphill battle in terms of convincing people he needs to be a first round pick. He needs. To, I have him ahead of Manny Machado, at least prior to this news. He needs to go ahead of Machado. Um, it, it's going to be harder to make that case if with that seed of doubt in there. Yeah, I don't think today I could take him in the first round. Like by the time we're actually doing real drafts and he's doing baseball activities, then yeah, I'd probably take him in the first round. But right today, I don't think I could. I, I had him ninth overall this morning. All right, White Sox signed Calvin Herrera to a two-year deal. Assume he's the closer over Alex Colomay. If he's back, f- assume a, <laughs> assume a battle. I if think. he's if he's healthy from the list Frank surgery, which he had last season, this is a guy who for quite a few years has been one of the best relievers in baseball. That's the, that's been the story. I thought I was supposed to be the Royals homer. <laughs> I mean, it's a factual statement. Uh, I mean, he has more often than not averaged less than a strikeout per inning, which is close to unacceptable for late inning reliever. Um, now, obviously he was great with the Royals when he was the seventh inning guy. Like you didn't worry so much about it then, but as a closer, I've always I've I've had my doubts about him as a closer even before last year. And his his ratios have been worse since he's been a closer, right? That's been my perception. He had one really high strikeout season. Um, I mean, look, he has a two sixty eight ERA over the last five years with a one point one four WHIP. He's had an ERA at two seven five or below. It, he'll he'll get a chance. He'll yeah, he'll get a chance. It's going to be he, him or Colome, and he may even be the favorite. I just think Colome is probably better. 
All right, let's uh, run through some of the other news. Rangers added Shelby Miller on a one-year deal. He only threw about 18 innings last season, and they were pretty horrific. <laughs> um, but, you he know. Fits in well on the Rangers pitch. St- still throws really hard. Um, maybe he can figure something out. Obviously not someone you're drafting. Maybe not someone you're ranking inside your top 500. Um, we missed Michael Brantley signing with the Astros. It's a good landing spot for him. Yeah. Where do awesome. you guys have him ranked? Uh, now, this is the one that makes me mad <laughs> because now... Well, it makes you mad. I've got Kyle Tucker on my dynasty team. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, Kyle Tucker has nothing more to prove in the minors by every uh, every rank list you'll find out there. He is an elite outfield prospect. It seemed like his time to shine, and now there's not an opening for him. It's Springer in center, Reddick in right, uh, Michael Brantley in left. Now, DH with Evan Gaddis gone, with Marlon Gonzalez out of the picture, you know, right now it looks like Tyler White is going to have a big role there, and maybe he doesn't measure up in the long run. Yeah. I um, think Tucker could, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think Tucker could win a job in the spring. I what he's done in the minor leagues, his pedigree. But it's just Reddick or DH, right? It's just Reddick or DH. Yeah. And, and Reddick's well, been good. It would probably be rotate each of the outfielders at dh it wouldn't be bad to give springer a day at dh like three times a week yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean you could still see a path opening up for tucker down the line but i don't think that's going to be like i I don't think there's any chance he wins a job in the spring it's going to have to happen later all right madison bumgarner is reportedly a trade candidate he's a free agent at the end of this season the brewers have been reported as the most likely team to land him something to keep an eye on it wouldn't help his value. No. No, going to the Brewers <laughs> certainly would not help. Uh, because his strikeout rate has fallen over the last two years. Injuries have played a part in that. Mm. But it's Oracle Park, now Oracle Park in San Francisco, Ugh. has been one of... <laughs> I'm still upset not, they changed it from Pac Bell. <laughs> one of, if not the best. Do you, you want to call it Enron Field still? Or no, that, that was, was Houston. Houston. Sorry, guys. Come on, uh, But Oracle Park is one of, if not the best pitchers park yeah. in baseball. Milwaukee, like we said earlier, one of the toughest places to pitch. So Extreme yeah. extreme venue change. But the thing is, even if Bumgarner stays in San Francisco, like I'll just I'll throw it out there now. He's one of my bus picks for this year. I, I could see the bottom completely falling out for him. He hasn't been the same since having that dirt bike incident. It's not just the strikeout rate that's mm-hmm. gone down, the swinging strike rate, the velocity. Uh, the the walks suddenly jumped last year. Like this this looks like a precipitous decline for a pitcher who has a ton of innings on that arm. But he's just so young. I mean, he doesn't really like have that many innings compared to the. He's he doesn't have that many innings compared to like Justin Verlander. Well, but like half maybe. in a shorter span of time. It, I think it's, the other, it's an old it's an old twenty nine or whatever. Well, he is. I, yeah, I think 30. the twenty nine. I think the other point is. He wasn't, he was definitely on the periphery of the ace discussion, especially uh, 2016 when he took his game to another level. But he was never squarely in that conversation. Did you see him in the playoffs, Chris? No. Do you play fantasy baseball in the playoffs? Did you see him in the playoffs? Do you play fantasy baseball in the playoffs? I I think that might be a mischaracterization. He was never on the level of a Clayton Kershaw. He was never in the discussion for number one overall pitcher, but he was consistently in the top top five to top ten range of the starting pitcher rankings. But a lot of that was reliability in innings. We don't have that anymore. 
we don't. Um, Jimmy Nelson expects to be ready for the start of the season. Gregory Polanco cleared to swing off a tee, but he does not expect to be back for the first two months. He says before June. That's different than the initial timetable we were given, but maybe he's making better progress coming back from that shoulder injury. Late round pick to stash in, in your oh, reserves? Oh, for sure, yeah. Or well, I think like he's not a he's not a reserves pick for me in like a that type of sense. I, he's in my top two fifty for sure, mm-hmm. um, because he could be a top twenty outfielder once he's healthy. Yep. Like it's a lot like Michael Conforto last year, except the timetable's pushed back. Um, White Sox signed John Jay. Good for them. They're <laughs> very thirsty in their pursuit of Manny Machado, and CeCe Sabathia has been cleared to resume his offseason workout regimen. Uh, he was diagnosed with a heart issue a couple weeks ago, so that's a great sign. Um, might make it more likely that the Yankees trade Sonny Gray. So that's something to keep an eye on because I think we all want Sonny Gray to get out of New York. No one more so than Adam Azer, I would assume. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't care where Sonny Gray goes. All right. All right, let's get to the mailbag. As always, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the way you can reach us. And the mailbag, you know, at this point in the year, most of them are keeper emails. We're trying I, to keep them. I trust them. that you found enough emails where we have no keeper emails. We're tr- No, there are a couple. Come on. We might not get to them, but there are a couple. Um, but maybe later on, before Adam comes back, because he especially hates the keeper emails, Maybe later on we'll do a keeper-specific episode, talk about Scott's keeper rankings, his prospects, everything like that. So keep your heads on, guys. Uh, First email from Jay. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, strategies, and considerations when participating in a Kentucky Derby-style draft preferences league. I find this so interesting because I've never done one. Heath, have you ever done one? Never done one. Uh, I've never never heard the term before. Sure, but you've done one. Yeah, you're basically drafting draft order. Yes. So you pick names out of a hat. Whoever comes first gets the first pick That's how for the draft works. slot. And, and the non-auction. You're taking the number one pick, right? No, no. I haven't. I haven't. It, it depends. Wow. It depends on what the specific player pool. Lo- I mean, like there's, la- no, there's no consensus number one player. So <laughs> why wouldn't you take the number two? Last year, I had the second pick for the mm-hmm. Tout Wars 15-team um, online, mock, uh, online draft league. Uh, and the consensus number two pick was Jose Altuve. The first pick took Mike Trout. Okay, so that wasn't an option for me. Maybe I would if it was. Uh, but the consensus number two pick was Jose Altuve. Instead, I picked something like 10th or something because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I got one of Scherzer, Sale, and Kluber. Um, and me, me kind of calculating which hitters I expected to go in the same range as those pitchers, the latest I could pick in the first round and still get one of those pitchers back in the second round was, Did it was work? kind of... Well, it was available to me, but so was Charlie Blackman in round two. So I you got to grab Charlie Blackman. Yeah, I, I ended up taking Charlie Blackman instead. But right. Yeah, and so it, it just depends on what the player pool... This year, if we're talking about this year, um, I haven't given... Basically, it a, what's a better place to pick right now? Yeah. The top of the draft, the middle of the draft, or the bottom? I know it seems like a stupid question, but I don't think it's a stupid question. There can be a drop off from fifteen to twenty-four. It just feels like an early question. I think if I had the first pick, I would take pick Trout at one, and if you got the first pick in the Kentucky Derby style draft, yeah, you would pick and, number and one. And the, yes, I would choose the first pick. If I got the second pick, I might choose third because I don't know how much of a difference am, am I. How confident am I in Jose Ramirez versus Mookie Betts? 
Jose Ramirez was, I think, the best player in fantasy last year. I thought Mookie Betts was. Uh, it might be points versus Roto thing, but they were both. They were in the same range. Jose Ramirez was fourth last okay. season in Roto. No good at all. <laughs> Don't know why you're taking him in the top three. <laughs> Who was third? JD Jose Martinez. Oh, JD Martinez. Okay. Christian Yelich was number two. No Mike Trout, Heath. You are vindicated once yeah. again. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> you want to say more? No. All I, right. I think there's an I think there's a clear tier of three among hitters at the top of drafts, and you want to be in that tier if you can. I think Francisco Lindor's in that tier too. Uh, Bill from Central Kentucky usually plays in head-to-head categories league. His main league is switching to head-to-head points. Can you name a few players who are significantly more valuable in one format versus the other? It's a question we get all the time let's say a name besides carlos santana i was That's gonna say like, one. this is the same thing you did to me <laughs> earlier i had a name all ready to jump on and there you go but you anybody who's listening to this pie we probably mentioned that once an episode i think starting pitchers are more valuable in head-to-head points than head-to-head categories almost universally guys who walk a lot guys who strike out a little guys who get a lot of extra base hits that aren't home runs those are those are who you're looking at anthony rizzo um, you know, anybody who has like a one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio like that is a... And this year, relief pitcher is going to be a lot different if it's a league where sure. you, if it's a head-to-head league where you can use sparps versus a categories league where you can't. Uh, that will make a huge difference in the relief pitcher market. All right, Jeff from Cedar Rapids. Thinking about 2019, thinking this guy is a strong post-type sleeper. We debated him a ton last preseason. I know last year wasn't what everyone hoped for, but... Jeff says he was overvalued. I agree with Jeff. This year, I'm thinking Jose Barrios is extremely undervalued. Your thoughts? Oh, man, this guy, Jose Barrios. There is probably not a player who has made me tear out more of my hair than him over the past two years because I was... You called him an ace. Well, at what point did I call him an ace? He did exactly (laughs) what I expected him to do last year. Going into last season, he was on my bus list. I was with Chris. He and was he was getting drafted in like the top sixty last year, and then he became a more efficient pitcher. He became a better strikeout pitcher, and looked like an ace for the first four months of the season. And Chris and I had a heated debate: who's better between Jose Barrios and Jamison Tyone? I made a fool of myself in the debate and made a fool of myself in the ultimate outcome because Barrios just kind of crashed and burned from there. So, I initially was very pessimistic in my ranking. It may have been a sour grapes thing. Uh, when I was putting together these rankings at the start of the offseason, I have since come to my senses enough to move him ahead of Zach Wheeler, Mike Fultonevich, Masahiro Tanaka. He wasn't as good as any of them last year, but uh, in, I in think the upside is clear. He wasn't. not Certainly not on a per-game basis. I have okay, the numbers right here in front basis. of me. Per game, I believe. Um, but I have him 27th. One spot behind Jamison Tyone. Sure. I believe I have he and Jamison Tyone back-to-back as well. I have one spot ahead of Jamison Tyone because I'm not going to give up that easily. <laughs> but I expect you're going to get a pitcher that throws around <clears throat> 200 innings, strikes out 210 hitters, hopefully wins a few more games. But he's he's good. Maybe he's not an ace. Maybe he's not great. But he's a very good starting pitcher. I, he's the f- kind of frustrating pitcher that the the only thing you can really say about him, whether you like him or not, is he's inconsistent. He, he kind of he okay. He's inconsistent on a start to start basis. The sure. last two years, ERA three eight nine, three eight four, FIP three eight four, three nine zero. Yeah, like that's he's a high threes ERA guy that should strike out about a batter per inning. But you can talk yourself into him 
when he's good. That yeah. that's what I and mean. You can talk yourself out of out of him when he's bad. It's it's take the full season. If if you if it's like a best ball, I know you love best ball drafts. I do probably for this reason. Um, but because the you process don't have to guess what we when when good. you say okay, an inconsistent guy. Oh, you know where his numbers are going to end up. Well, you don't know where his numbers are going to end up when you're going through it. That's what makes it hard because you're setting a lineup every week. You're making ad drops. Yeah. Like he is he is somebody who I'm afraid is going to fake me out. And and there's an actual baseball reason for it. It's not just the results. He has had consistent issues with command, more so than control. He mm-hmm. throws enough strikes. There's but, a difference between the two. But when he is not locating his fastball as precisely as he's able to, uh, it leads to a lot of home runs. All right, moving on. Dan in Toronto. About a year ago, people were talking about Kenley Jansen as the next Mario, Mariano Rivera. Specifically, experts were saying he looks like the kind of reliever who could continue to dominate well into his mid to late 30s. This year, it seems as though that narrative has completely disappeared. How should we view Jansen going forward, both for 2019 and for dynasty purposes? He was not bad in 2019 or 2018, but he wasn't himself. And several, like multiple health scares, right? And th- there's there's reason for that. He, I think he had a hip injury uh, in spring training that he didn't uh, he didn't throw at all in spring training. He came out, velocity was way down. Way down. Uh, it recovered. Not all the way. A little bit, but yeah. yeah not but all the way. For the most part, for most of the season, he was throwing about what you would have expected. And, um, for, and for the most part, he was great. He was, he was an all-star closer, just not a best closer and baseball type closer i think you should view him as a top five closer this year and like if you're locking over the next three to five years i'd view him as a top 10 closer i i mean it's it's just hard for it's hard to say exactly how much of the drop-off was a skills decline and how much of it was impacted the, the result of these outside variables yeah had the the what was it, heart, uh, irregular heartbeat mm-hmm. a couple times? If, if I'm going to invest big in a closer, I'm going to do it before it gets to Jansen. I'm going to do it on uh, Edwin Diaz, Blake Trinan, K- Craig Kimbrell, or Aroldis Chapman. And uh, at that point, I'm going to con- I'm going to just accept that I- I'm going to have to take a, a less reliable closer because I think Jansen himself is a less reliable closer now. And, and as far as Dynasty goes, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that, but... If you're competitive right now, Kenley Jansen has a lot of value. If you're tanking, I don't know if there's such thing as a good closer for Dynasty if your team's not good right That's now. That's a good point. Because it's such a fungible position. You know, part of what made Mariano Rivera so incredible was that he was just always good. Forever. Yeah. And relief pitchers, with the exception of like Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. I mean, the very top guys have been surprisingly recently yeah. reliable like the and and we haven't we've never really seen relievers but prior to prior right. to the Kimbrel Chapman Jansen group we've never seen relievers with dominance um stats the, i mean that that's like best ever type stuff well even Edwin Diaz would it, like if he goes back to what he was before last year he's Kenley Jansen last year well i i was actually going to say well, it depends which 2017 he wasn't that great 26 2016 when he made his debut he was Incredible. Give it, unhittable. Give, the given ERA that, was a little high, but given that Diaz is twenty-five, I believe, and he is putting up the Kimbrel Chapman ratios that we used to never see in baseball, and yet it's carried those two so far. I think if there's 
I, I think Diaz is maybe the one reliever who I would want to invest in as a long-term closer in a dynasty league. He may be the only one, though, because even Trinan, whose numbers were similar last year, I mean, he's 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 on the wrong side of 30. So And he's, it's you know, one year at this level. Yeah. Uh, next email from Chris. Sid, Stinky Pete, and Lotso, as well as To Be Determined. Do you guys know who those are? Are they from Toy Story yes. 2? No, they are the bad guys in each Toy Story In each movie. Toy Story. Okay. Yeah, Sid. Okay. Yeah. 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 Is right. a new Toy Story coming? Yes. Oh. I believe the new character is a spork with, uh, like, <laughs> what are the little, like, tube cleaners? What are those called? Pipe cleaners? Pipe cleaners. Okay. And he's having an existential crisis about whether he's actually a toy. <laughs> it looks delightful. Uh, Chris writes... <laughs> what in the world is wrong <laughs> with us? Chris is in a 17-team Roto League standard 5x5 five five scoring. He believes it's time to start giving middle relievers some love as their importance has evolved the last few years. We've talked about that a lot already on today's show. Things going from saves to holds is lending re- middle relievers too much weight. However, what do you think of holds plus two times saves? Or how about half holds plus saves? I mean, yeah, that's... I think that would be literally half done. That that would be the way I would like to go. No, I I think I think that some sorts of accommodation should be made for the way the game is changing. They are, even without this, very beneficial in terms of ratios. Most of them, if they're really good, help you in ERA. They help you in WHIP. But when it's not a head-to-head categories league and it's the full season long, their sixty or sixty-five innings don't help that yeah. much. Well, I and I, they do have a big impact on the game. Seventeen-team league. I, I think. I think the elite middle relievers. I, that, yeah, having played in a fifteen-team roto league. Well, they're, you know, they're for, used. For you're starting of, multiple. Most, probably. Yeah, you're starting multiple, and I. I, I think that it, it kind of takes care of itself, and and I think even beyond that, even if you're talking about shallower leagues, even if you're talking about a head-to-head points league. Um, I think it, there's going to be kind of a natural solution to the way the game is changing. We were talking about it before the podcast. The Brewers have three excellent closing candidates, three potentially elite closers. And I don't know I don't know that any one of them will be the guy all year. I think Josh Hader will always be in the mix, but he's the least likely to be the guy. Jeremy Jeffers, Corey Knebel, I can see them swapping them off again. And yet, if they're all three getting 15 saves... Because there are so few relievers out there who are getting 30, they probably are going to be startable. It's, it's even kind of the same thing with David Robertson. He's going to be startable in every format, even if he only ends up with 20 saves. Yeah. Because there's probably there's going to be a be lot of... Talk about frustrating on a week-to-week basis, though. Sure, sure. But, Very much. Uh, yeah, if you're playing in season-long roto, he's, it's easier to stomach right. that. Um, all right, next one. I didn't put the name in. Sorry. But keep two. And I think this is an interesting <laughs> one. Jimmy Nelson, Lance McCullers, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, or Ro- Roberto Ozuna. And I, I I get Lance McCullers out this season, but how do you view him going forward long term? I assume this is the end of your keepers. Like, you're keeping Probably. a lot of other players, Probably. and these are your last two. It, do, it so does. It matters a lot. Okay. Because, like, I would probably... I'm keeping Conforto. Mm-hmm. Over Nimmo. Over Nimmo. Yep. And I, Ozuna man, for this year it's Ozuna. Ozuna, I, I think Ozuna might be the number one closer this year. Ozuna might be the second most keepable closer, long term. Sure, 
I just I want to throw some love for Jimmy Nelson. He was so good in 2017. He had like three months out of his entire career. He was awesome. His whole 2017 was very good. His final numbers were borderline ace-like. He was great. Mm. Injured his shoulder running the bases. Yeah. May not ever be the same, but I'm very interested in drafting him. Oh, at the end, last round? Sure. Just to see. I'd take him over Jeff McNeil. David writes in, enough with the Matt Kemp disrespect. Get him on the Blue Jays. Let him DH. 30 bombs, 100 batted in. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm sure that you're right. As soon as they introduce him to the white towel guy, he'll he'll do exactly that. He He's the guy who could really use a DH. Whole yeah. DH he's a DH. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, now he's on the Reds, so there's no DH. How? What, where do you guys have him ranked this year? That's a good question. That I don't. He just said enough with the Matt Kemp disrespect. Now you want us to say <laughs> where we have Matt Kemp ranked? I have him. I want to. I want to know if Matt Kemp's being disrespected. Seventy first. I have him between seventy five and eighty. I mean, if he's playing for <laughs> enough the, with the Matt Kemp disrespect, guys. If he's guys. playing for the Reds, it means. Jesse Winker isn't. And there's Jesse, no way that's I have Jesse Winker right? two spots ahead of him. Really? I, He's wow. coming back from a shoulder injury. They're, they're, I, I don't rank know for sure. I, I'm afraid they're going to be platoon. I would rank well, him higher. It won't last long if they do. Yeah, I mean, I would if Jesse Winker higher. is who he looked like he was becoming last year, I'm 37. I think if Kemp plays every day only against lefties, and he's going to have remarkable numbers. Like They're not going to want to stop doing that because he's going to be hitting 400. That's another team that has too many guys in the outfield, potentially. Uh, Jake in Atlanta, 12-team dynasty league. We're allowed to keep up to three players. If we only get two back, we get a pick in the third round. One pick, you keep one, get a pick in the second and third, etc. He's definitely keeping Lindor and Judge. Question is, does he keep Chris Bryant or let go and try to get another player in the third round? I let go. You're down on Chris Bryant. You said you said in our most recent podcast, Heath wasn't here and he probably didn't download it. Thanks for helping the numbers, Heath. I download every podcast that we do automatically. My phone. Um, this question is, oh, Scott said the other day he thinks we've seen the best of Chris Bryant. How do you well, feel about that, Heath? What? what well, that's like, what you said. What, what, that is an exact quote. I. I think we may have seen the best of Chris Bryant. That's different from saying I think we've seen the best of Chris. I Bryant. would. I might have Scott, Chris Bryant lower than Scott in my top three hundred. Wow, where do you have him? Forty-seven. I don't have it pulled up, but <laughs> round round four. That sounds like where I have him. That's interesting. Neither of you guys is going to end up drafting Chris Bryant this year. No. It doesn't sound like because no. uh, I don't. I don't know. What's the industry consensus? You have that handy or no? 27. 27. Okay. Yeah. Neither of you is drafting Chris Bryant. It's early. It's only 11 uh, experts it's, ranked. It's not, because, it's not because I think I can sit It's not because I can sit here and with confidence say something is wrong with Chris Bryant. He's not good anymore. I, I think there's a very strong chance he has a bounce back MVP caliber season. It's just there's enough uncertainty with coming off a season that was clearly sidetracked by a shoulder injury that clearly wasn't addressed at any point with some type of surgery or something. I, I don't know what he what he's coming into health-wise. And uh, for a first, second, even third-round pick, that's, that's too much risk for me. Agreed. Dear Chris, Scott, and Keith. It's one of my keep... favorite things you guys do. 
<laughs> See, they don't, so they don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> so grumpy today. Dear Chris, Scott, and Keith, Trey, keep Trey Turner in the first in the last round for one more year, Ronald Acuna in the seventh round for three more years, Blake Snell in the 17th round for three more years, or Vlad Jr. in the last round for three more years. What is the last round? How many rounds are there? Let's call it 23. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot of options. I think well, not Turner. Blake Snell. I think you throw Snell out, actually. I don't think I'm keeping him. I, I think I'm keeping Vlad. I I hate I hate to give you, up a see, Cunha that's the thing, or you're, you're saying don't keep Blake Snell because pitchers are so unreliable. Mm-hmm. And, and he, then and you're keeping a, a play, picking a player that has not played in the major leagues. Blake yet. Snell played over his head last year. He was a, not. He much. was maybe a no. Little, I mean, his his ERA was like a run lower than his fifth. Yes, but if you if you raise his ERA a run, he's still sure. an ace. I I think. There's a very good chance I won't be drafting Blake Snell this season. You won't end drafts with me because you have to take him in the second round. Yeah, I think too many people are going to take him really high, and I <laughs> get has, it. He had I a understand. Something he was ERA awesome. Yes, <laughs> like he could have a three sure. thirty ERA and still be an ace, probably. How how confident are we that he's just fixed his control problems, and not just control command problems? Um, because he doesn't throw in the strike zone. He had one of the lowest in-zone strike rate or pitch rates last year. I see bigger risks, certainly with somebody like Strasburg, the injury risk guy, certainly. But, sure, but even, he's going even, th- even throwing them out, I see bigger risks with uh, Aaron Nola. Why? Uh, because he had both home run and Babbitt luck last year. Okay. I see bigger risk with Patrick Corbin, who's going to go later. I understand. But... Um, I yeah, mean, Patrick Corbin's had exactly as many good seasons as Blake Snell. Actually, more. Right, but... You you look at the projection. You look at what made it good. Um, you know, it seems like Patrick Corbin thrived on a gimmick, which it was a is, really good trick. Yeah, and uh, look, I've we've done two mock drafts. I think I drafted Corbin in both, so it's not like I'm down on him. I'm just saying my my point. Getting it back to Snell is that you could make a case against all of these guys being drafted in the same range. To answer your question, I feel confident that he has mastered his control issues. He mastered his control issues in Triple A for the most, to the extent that he did last year. He had a walk per nine pretty similar to the 3.2 he was at last year, and he can be an absolute ace at 3.2. And he's still young enough and inexperienced enough that if that does come up a little bit, I think he can get better at other things. All right. Jake from Salt Lake City. Jeff, Troy, and Abed. Anybody got that one? You guys are losers. It's community. Never watched Community. How come nobody is talking about Aaron Hicks? He finished last season with 27 homers and 11 steals in only 137 games with an OPS about 830. Uh, and that was with a 264 BABIP. Are we overlooking him? Is there the possibility that he can turn into a top 25 outfielder? Non-base percentage leagues, and I'll add on top of that, top 25 in uh, average Wasn't leagues. he last year? Wasn't he? A top 25 outfielder. Do you have him ranked in the top 25 now? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I have, I'm 32nd. He was the number 62 overall player, and yeah, probably about 20, top 25. Yeah. yeah. I've got him 44. He was somebody who, when I pulled up the season-to-date stats, I was always shocked at how high he ranked. He's really good. Um, the reason I don't rank him higher is really, it's really a matter of trust for me. Uh, you could say, okay, he had bad BABIP luck last year, but prior to last year, he profiled as a low BABIP guy. He was a poor line drive hitter. And 
given that um given that really last year was the first year the Yankees made him a full-timer there's always a chance they pull back on that particularly now that they have this glut of infielders that could that could uh impact the outfield they got Clint Frazier hanging around still um it's he's, just a trust thing for me he's been really good two years in a row though it is yeah really but walks uh, a ton doesn't strike out that much that's always been true but yeah. look at his line drive rate last year it was like 13 percent line was, drive is it was is, dreadful line drive is very very bad well no it just it fluctuates a lot more than most other stats year to but year. does his it's just almost always low, isn't it? I, I closed his fan graphs page. <laughs> it's almost always low, just like I said. Yeah, uh, last year was kind of an exception as far as that goes. And, and look, I'd be happy with him as my third outfielder, but I don't want to draft him as my second outfielder. Brett in New Jersey, dear Nick, Drew, Carson, and Taysom. Heath, I assume you've got this one. Those are, seem like quarterbacks. Yeah. Taysom? Yeah, I don't know who Drew is. Who's oh, Breeze. Breeze? <laughs> Who's Taysom? Who's Car- oh, these are the Eagles and, and New Orleans yes. Saints. Taysom Hill. Yeah. He is the quarterback that the Saints bring in when they want to run trick it's plays. a lot of really stupid it's stuff. It's really terrible. It's really dumb. I didn't watch much NFL this past year. so. <laughs> All right, Brett in New Jersey. He's going pitcher early this year. He never has before. By the end of the fourth round, he'd like to have two top 20 pitchers. But he's nervous. In this group, he has some concerns. He worries about the age and workload for Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. He worries about sales, repeated late-season workload issues, including, obviously, massive drop in velocity. Uh, when he came back from that shoulder issue. Um, Kershaw's injury history, Snell's previous control issues. Apparently, we're not worried about that. Nope. Severino's weird second half of the season. How? So he asks, how do I minimize risk when taking pitchers early? Don't want to spend an early round pick on a pitcher who underperforms or gets hurt, because let's face it, they often do. Well, I, the, the hitters you'd be drafting in the same range, you could, you could point to... Scary things about all Tra- of them. Trevor Story. Tra- Trevor Story. That was who I was going yeah, to I'm not first. Him in the first two rounds. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Sure. Charlie Blackman. Andrew Benintendi's second half last year. Javier Baez. Christian Yelich is only he's done it for exactly as long as Blake Snell has. In even terms like of being an elite player. Even like Juan Soto had a crazy high ground ball percentage for the amount of power he produced. I'm not. I, I don't know that he's a slam dunk elite player. So. Um, there's risk. There's risk. There's risk everywhere. I, 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 I think you can minimize risk by being a little more selective about which pitchers you draft. Like, I am probably not going to draft Clayton Kershaw at all. I know I rank him in this range, but... <laughs> you should rank him lower. Well, Here's, well, this is the tough thing about starting pitcher, is the guys who don't have any question marks as far as performance or injury are really old. That's a really that's a really hard thing to get around. Is like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. If you just go by track, and even Corey Kluber, you just go by track record. Those guys have just been awesome for like three years in a row for Verlander and four years in a row for Scherzer and Kluber and seven. Years what I Scherzer. would say is, if you want to take two pitchers in the first four rounds and you want to minimize risk, take two hitters and then two pitchers. Yeah. That that makes sense. You're mass, ma, you're you're not limiting the risk on the pitchers, but you're risking the, limiting the risk on your right. investment. The, the hitters in the first two rounds are, are pretty are, pretty yeah. safe. Yeah, and I yeah I've I've struggled because I've I've trended more toward drafting pitchers early over the past couple seasons um, as well, and uh, but part of my struggle when putting together the rankings this season is I feel like there is as big of a drop off. At hitting, like the, there's a big drop off at both, 
after, you know, round two or three. Um, so I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to navigate that, but that I, I kind of like that because the, the, the kind of pitchers going in round four, I think the gap between them and the round two pitchers is maybe a little smaller than the round two and round four hitters, certainly in terms of reliability. All right, we're going to close out this email show with two emails that are 100% in Heath's wheelhouse. Absolutely. Wonderful. One's about beer. One's about being mean to your friends. Okay, great. We'll start with Ricky, dear Job, Buster, and Michael. You guys know what that is, right? Oh, I, my God. I know what that okay. is. Okay. I know okay. what that is. All right, it's Arrested Development, Heath. Watch it. It's on Netflix. I'm in a highly competitive 12-team keeper points league with my buddies. We're entering our 10th year. They're flying in from around the country to do a live draft together. There is one team who flat out embarrasses himself every year. He's the only team to never finish in the money. Ricky's been accused of going over the line with trolling. The <laughs> same. Quote, in my opinion, when you are this bad, no trolling is off limits. What is the proper amount of trolling allowed when one team is so inferior to the others and is the laughing stock of the league? The proper amount of trolling allowed is always determined by the person being trolled. Sure. And this is a group of friends. It, like You could troll me as much as you want, and I'm not going to get offended or stop being your friend mm. or drop out of the league. But this guy may have a line that's different than yours. I would... I would troll him all the way up to that line, <laughs> cross that line, then apologize and step it back just one step. Not too far. Keep <laughs> trolling him. But you have to cross the line to find out where the line is. At, <laughs> like you'll never know. You might leave trolling on the table. Full disclosure, I trolled the commissioner of one of my fantasy football leagues so much that he quit the league. <laughs> See? Chris found the line. <laughs> As someone who doesn't consider himself a troll on any level, really, uh, I do think it's worth pointing out that in this particular situation, for the good of the competitive competitiveness of the league, it if it's already <laughs> determined that there's no way you're going to be able to push this guy out of the league, yeah. that's, not, that's not a way to solve the problem is to just get rid of him. Then you kind of have to do this for the good of the league. So that he quits? No. So... Because you're stuck with them, right? If, if it's if it's you know a, a family member or, or somebody who you know you can't get rid of, you're stuck with them. Then the only way, and you know the only way to get him to give, even a make even a half-hearted attempt, is to needle him constantly. You kind of have to do that for the good of the league. I feel yeah, like, yeah, for sure, you're you're doing a service. Uh, all right. Last email, dear Matt, Case, Tom, and Mitchell. Those are the last four quarterbacks the Eagles have beaten in the playoffs over the last calendar year? It says it right there in the email. I read it. Uh, this is a question <laughs> mainly for Heath. I'm, I'm offended. Yeah. I'm a beer guy, I have guy good too. answers to this question. Can you assign a beer style, Pilsner, Pale Ale, etc., to some of the remaining unsigned star free agents, Harper, Machado, Kimbrell, etc.? I'm going to give you, I'm going to go through and give you the free agents. Okay. Just start at the top, though. Yeah, Bryce Harper. Uh, he is a nice uh, barrel-aged porter because that is the best beer, but it doesn't match everyone's taste. It's a good, good answer. Manny Machado. I would call him a full-bodied stout. Outstanding also. The only problem with a stout is sometimes they taste a little cheap because there's not quite enough effort put into them. <laughs> AJ Pollock. 
that was the extent of what I. Um, I would say that he is like a German beer mm-hmm. because I don't know for sure what I'm going to get out of it if I like it or not. That might be more of a sour. I don't like sours. Oh, okay. That's yeah. You can scroll down the list and I'll tell you what's a sour. <laughs> uh, Carlos Gonzalez is a sour for you. Carlos Gonzalez is definitely a sour. Uh, Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Dallas Keuchel is a pilsner. Like okay. he's very solid. There's nothing spectacular. Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Craig Kimbrell is an IPA. Just absolutely fantastic at his job. All right. That was, Thank you. That was fun. It was fun. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Heath. Welcome back, Heath. It was great to be here. It was great to have you. <laughs> we'll be back with two more episodes next week. Probably going to do two more episodes the entire time Adam Azer's out because we love you guys so two much. Two more episodes per week while Adam Two more episodes. Just two more until he's, he's back. Yes. Thank you. Uh, until then, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.